0: Uh, So today we're going to take a look at question 101. Uh, This is from the Shorter Catechism. Um, What do we pray for in the first petition? Uh, But before we do, of course, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh yes, there is a handout. Um, So if you need one, please please grab one. But let's go before the Lord in, in prayer. Our good and gracious Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to get her together as your people this morning, to study your word, to dive into this catechism question, and we pray that you would open our hearts as we seek to study your name, to glorify your name, and we pray that you would be glorified in our, our worship you this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So question 101 of the Shorter Catechism asks, what do we pray for in the first petition? And the answer says, in the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known, and that he would uh, dispose all things to his own glory. And there are several proof texts uh, for this, for the first and uh, second portion there of the answer, Uh, and we'll, we'll go through some of those, but... By way of introduction, um, I'd just like to bring something that uh, I found pretty interesting uh, to your attention. <laughs> In all the times that the the apostles spent uh, with Christ, uh, they they only asked Jesus to teach them one thing. At least, as far as the Gospels tell us, anyway. Out of all the things they thought to ask Jesus to teach them, what do you think that one thing was? Right, right. Luke. 11.1 says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They saw Jesus praying all the time, right? And and they knew the value of prayer, and so they wanted to know how to do it properly. Well, who better to ask than God himself, right? Don't let that escape you. So here we see both the importance of praying and the importance of the content of our prayer. So with that, let's let's look at the catechism. The catechism makes two specific points about the first petition, right, that God would enable us to glorify him everywhere he makes himself known, right, or his name known. And and note that we do not glorify God of our own volition, right? He works. He does the work. He enables his people to accomplish this task, and we're going to flesh that out a lot more. And secondly, that he would render all things unto his own glory. So there's two parts to this. And um, in order to uh, flesh all this out, we're going to look at this under three uh, sections. God's proper name. We're going to examine that. Uh, We're going to look at hallowing God's name and prioritizing God's name in our prayers. Um, And these topics may seem short and simple, but I assure you they're very far-reaching. So with that, let's dive into the first of these, God's proper name. Now, I think we need to ask ourselves two things uh, as we look at this before we can begin to glorify God's uh, name, as the catechism states, isn't it incumbent upon us to know his true name, right? Um, And I don't simply mean God. How does the Lord refer to himself in Scripture? And here's the other thing. Why would Jesus even make this statement in the prayer? Right? Clearly there's a significance in hallowing or showing reverence, glorifying God's name. And so it's incumbent upon us to learn why so how do we know God's name how do we know his name tells us right so generally right there's two there's two ways we know God's name right general revelation right we could say that simply the created world right it does reveal that there is a God right reveals certain things about God his orderliness his beauty Right, so on we could say a lot of different things but just as general revelation is not enough to save a person Right, for that you would need the gospel it doesn't really specifically reveal God's name for that you would need special revelation Right, you need scripture you need God speaking to his people in his word special revelation reveals what general revelation cannot namely his triune name. It's through scripture that we hear the Lord's name proclaimed and we learn to call upon it in praise and petition. So, what is his name? Now, there's there's several things under this heading and I, I think they're all in your handout there, but, but stop me if I lose you on, on any of these. But there's several things I want to go through here. First of all, his name is, is singular. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 Right, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right, this is arguably the thesis statement of the Old Testament. Right? it's the great Shema of, of Israel. But Scripture uses many names to to uh, address God. Right, so so would that be a, a, a contradiction then? Well, no, no, not at all. It, it it simply takes many names to do justice to show the immeasurable majesty of God. Right. For example, the, the Lord has many names. Like, like jealous would be one. Right. The Lord is jealous for His name's sake. The Lord is uh, jealous for His glory and His holiness, and rightly so. Right. This this verse in Deuteronomy six four is a a statement of exclusivity. Right. It's not talking about the unity within God. Okay. Let me say that again. This is a statement of exclusivity. It's not talking about the unity within God. Okay. So what do I What do I mean by that? Well, there there are a lot of gods out there, right? False gods, little g, right? But there is only one true God, and he does have a name. So let's let's look at that. Exodus 3. Exodus 3. We're going to be there for just a minute, so you might want to turn there if you have your Bibles. Exodus 3, verses 14 and 15. Of God revealed, and in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. This is God's personal covenant name. It's His personal covenant name, Yahweh. It comes from the root word to be. Okay, these four letters. I think. I think I might have it in your hand out there. It's it's Y H W H. Yahweh. These um, four Hebrew letters. It's what's known as the Tetragrammaton. Okay, there's your there's your five dollar the theological word for the day okay tetragrammaton this is the name that reveals something about God okay now instead of saying Yahweh though right the Jews would say Adonai or Hashem right it just it just means the name right they did this of course out of the great love and respect that they had for God um, they, they they feared his name so much right how far we've come today As a society. Now, you will see Yahweh appear two different ways in your Bibles, in your translations today. You'll see Lord in all caps, right? And this always refers to the divine name. When you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that's the divine name. This is not how they would say Adonai, right? When you see Lord in lowercase letters, that's Adonai. And that means that's his title. It's the title referring to him as, like, Lord. But in Exodus 3, our passage, we see God's name as I Am. That's his proper name, Yahweh. And with this name, God is in a class all by himself. This name sets him apart from his creatures. It is his holy name. Now, in this same passage, in Exodus 3, 14, we see God's name expounded in description. What do I mean by that? Well, here God describes himself by himself. He is the own measure of the meaning of his name. Like, for example, you might say of someone else that they're blonde, they're tall, they're skinny, short, fat, whatever, right? We can't do that with God. God uses himself to describe himself. So much doctrine and theology has been expounded from these short five words. And I can't can't go into all that detail right now. But suffice it to say, we learn several things from this this verse and these passages about God's name here. He is the self-existent one. And he is eternal and unchangeable. Yahweh is our God. Exodus 9, verse 16, we see his name exhibited in action. His name exhibits action. This God, uh, I'm sorry, our God, rather, is he's speaking to Moses here, right? And he's telling him what to tell Pharaoh regarding the, the next plague. He says here, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Right? When Pharaoh says, who, who is this Lord? Moses says, I'll show you. Right. God's name has power. It shows action. It's extolled in praise. Psalm 145, verse three. Great is the Lord. Lord, all caps, Yahweh. Great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. His name is Trinitarian. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now, this is the last of these. And I landed on this one for a reason, because this is a salvific issue. You cannot be a believer in the one true God without ascribing the name of Yahweh to all three members of the Godhead. Our catechism says that God enables us to glorify Him and renders all things unto His glory. And all of that glory belongs to each member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We read in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands to baptize in the name. That's a surrogate for Yahweh. There's another great example of this commonality in Mark chapter 1 with the baptism of Jesus. Turn, turn with me there if you have your Bible. We're going to be there for a second too. Mark chapter 1. Starting in verse 9. In those days Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, you're never going to see the word Trinity in your Bibles, right? But when a narrator shows you something with feathers that quacks, you're supposed to go, oh, that's a duck, right? So too, as the narrators of the Gospels show us our triune God, we get the picture of the Trinity all throughout the Scriptures. It couldn't be any clearer than in the baptism of Christ. Right now, for those of you who are going, well, yeah, but that doesn't call Jesus Yahweh. Cool. Let's back up in the first chapter of Mark a little bit more. Mark grounds the first chapter of his gospel in the Old Testament, highlighting a new beginning for God's people. Look at verse 1. Start there. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So in Isaiah chapter 40, there's a character called the voice, whose job it is is to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for Yahweh. Mark says in chapter 1 who that voice is. It's John the Baptist, right? Well, there in verse 4, John is baptizing and announcing the coming of a king. John is the forerunner for Jesus. He's the forerunner for Yahweh. So we need to know that when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping our thrice holy God. We're worshiping Yahweh. We worship the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush for worshipping the great I Am. I like what G.I. Williamson says um, in his uh, description of this, this catechism uh, answer. He says in the Bible then, a name is more than a mere label. It is a true description. It reveals something to us concerning the person to whom it is given. And I would argue, as as we've just seen, this is this statement is even... More so true concerning God. The purpose of learning God's name here is to properly reveal his name and aid us in our journey to properly glorifying and hallowing that name. Now, there there, there is a significance here because misusing this name does have consequences. Because hallowing God's name gets right at the heart of the third commandment. Right, don't take the Lord's name in vain we read in Leviticus 24 verse 11 of the one who blasphemed and cursed and what was his punishment he was stoned to death so praise God that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ but this should highlight the severity of misusing God's name and the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act, the way we pray God holds His name to a very high standard. And in the <coughs> prayer that we're looking at this morning, right Christ says, "Lord, let your name be hallowed." Because the flip side of that, right? The proper use does have positive consequences. right Knowing how to hallow God's name enhances our worship. It enhances our prayer. To rightly know who God is personalizes your worship. It personalizes your prayer. It gives real meaning and knowledge to who God is. To know that the name of Yahweh is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the one who redeemed his people. To know that Yahweh is Jesus Christ. The name that is above every name. I I can go on and on, but I think we get the point, right? As God's name is praised in heaven, he wants it to be praised the same way on earth. Jerry Williamson said said this in his book as well. It's only as we learn to understand the whole revelation that God has given in nature and scripture that we understand his name. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. We've spent so much time learning about God's name. When are we going to start talking about Halloween? Just... Just teach me how to hallow. I just want to hallow. Come on. Come on. Let's get to the hallowing. Again. But, as I've said before, right, you can't revere or glorify a name that you don't properly know and understand. We have to set that precedent. We have to set that foundation. Now, I in no way in this short lecture taught you everything you need to know about God's name. Keep reading your Bible for that. But here's the whole point, right, or the other positive consequence of learning God's name it puts into proper perspective the magnitude of this first petition. There's a reason Jesus started here. It wasn't an accident. So, with that, let's look at what it means to hallow the name of Yahweh in prayer. The goal of the church should be to hallow God's name in proclamation, praise, and, for our context today, prayer. Right? Now, our, our catechism says it is God who enables this to happen, right? We're praying that God would enable and others to glorify him in every way he makes himself known. And, and that really shouldn't surprise us, right? Um, even as believers, we, we struggle with sin, right? Even the good works that we do accomplish are only through the power of the Spirit, right? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand uh, that we should walk in them. All right? So everything good that we do is only by the power of God that he has accomplished before the foundation of the world. So everything we do that's pleasing to God, i.e. our good works, is only through his power. So it only stands to reason that we would glorify or hallow his name through that same power. It's nothing we can do of our own will, and it is right that we should ask his help to do so. And one of our proof texts for this comes from uh, Psalm 67. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Um, I think this is uh, very well said here in this psalm. Uh, It's the first uh, three verses. Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. So here the psalmist petitions God in verse 1 to be gracious and bless them. But for what reason? Look at verse 2. So that God's name would be known on the earth, so that his name would be shouted on the mountaintop, so that Yahweh, would be glorified. That's the reason they want their blessing. Right? By being gracious to his people, God would be glorified. But not only that, look at the end of verse 3. Right? Let all the peoples praise you. The desire is not just for a small collective group of people to worship the one true God. The desire ultimately is for every person on earth to glorify God, to praise his holy name. And how does that happen? Because God works in us to accomplish his glory. Now, I want to talk briefly about what this does and doesn't mean. What it does and doesn't mean to hallow God's name or to give glory to God in our lives. This is, I think it's important and we need to talk about this because inevitably every time I, I mention this, at least one person comes up to me and goes, Wow, I, I never knew that. Can you, can you elaborate on that a little more? <coughs> what it doesn't mean. Giving God the praise he is due does not benefit God. In other words, when we do good things, it doesn't add to God's glory. And on the flip side of that, it doesn't take away from God's glory when we do bad things. Job chapter 35. You can can turn with me there if you like. Verses 6 and 7. I'll just read this quickly. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him, or what does he receive from your hand? Now, this is Elihu talking to Job, and, and there's mixed opinions about whether he was a wise counselor or not. But I, I think this is this is good theology here. These are rhetorical quen- uh, questions meant to get Job and, and us to think, right? <clears throat> Verse six is talking about our sin. Right When we sin, and, and even when our transgressions are, are multiplied, right even when they're great, what do you think you do to God? You certainly don't steal glory from God. That's impossible. Right? And on the flip side, verse 7, if you're righteous and you do good works, do you think you could add to his glory? No. I mean, as if God needed anything, right? God is self-sufficient. Right, he, he's self-existent. He's the great I am. He's Yahweh. This is why we study the name. Right, this is why we need to know these things. We cannot add or subtract from God's glory. But wait, does this mean that I can't glorify God? I'm so glad you asked that question. <clears throat> yes, you can glorify God. All right, two things we need to know about this. It is God who honors and glorifies his great name. Okay? We're the instruments that he uses. Okay. There's a there's a country song by Chad Brock. It's called Lightning Does the Work. Okay? My kids love this song. We play it over and over and over and over. <clears throat> anyway, the main line in this song is that thunder's just the noise, lightning does the work. Okay? Dear Christian, when it comes to glorifying God. We're the thunder. He's the light. Okay, we like to think we're the lightning because we think, oh, well, I'm praying and I, I do some evangelizing on a good day, right? And and I I, I do worship and, and all these things, right? But here's, here's the problem, right? You would do none of those things if God had not moved in your heart and the Spirit had worked in you to do those things in the first place. So, yes, those things are wonderful and they are pleasing and glorifying to God. But they are done only because he did the work in the first place. Right? We're just the noise. God does the work. Okay? And we see a great example of this in Scripture, too, in John chapter 12. There Jesus says in verse 28, John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God is not dependent upon anyone that he should receive the glory and honor due His name. He has received it in the past and He will receive it again in the future. And here's the other thing to this, right? Giving God the praise He is due, it actually benefits us. Wait, what? Yes, it does. God gives us prayer, not really for His sake, but for our own. When we are taught in this prayer to hallow His name, it's partly for our good too, right? Psalm 119, verse 175, it says, Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. For us to truly live is to praise God, to hallow his name everywhere he makes himself known. Praising God makes us fully what we were meant to be. Praising God, and if it's true, as the catechism says, is something that we need his help for we need him to enable us and it brings us into a full relationship and personhood as Christians and that is a prayer that God will answer God will not only enable his people to do so for their good but for his namesake and for his glory therefore we treat the blessed name as sacred reverent you're a Christian the name of our God is holy he's our creator and our redeemer his name is marvelous majestic we should be treating it with all glory and honor like a, a crown jewel he's not just God he is Yahweh this is Hashem it's the name I mean we can sing with the saints of old from Psalm 115 verse 1 not to us O oh Lord not to us but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, lastly, do we have have... time? I'd like to discuss how we prioritize God's name in our prayers. And I'm I'm hoping this will be a bit more of a a, a practical session. The first thing that I want to mention here is that this petition is not a suggestion it's not a suggestion in this prayer we are not simply affirming that God is holy it's not what we're doing here <clears throat> rather this is a petition or a request made to God here Jesus is telling us that when we pray the very first thing we ask is that the name of God would be regarded as holy why would he do that well, remember, this is one of six petitions. And if, if you notice, the first three are all God-centered, right? Hallow be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, All God-centered. Just like the first four of the Ten Commandments are all vertically oriented, so too are the first three of the first petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching us to start... By hallowing God's name to focus on his kingdom and not our own. It's here that faithful and fruitful prayer begins. It's here that we get the biblical model of prayer. And that's the second thing I want to talk about is the the biblical model of, of prayer. As we've noted from Christ, this is indeed the biblical model of prayer. And with that in mind, everything... And and in everything we've learned up to this point, I think it wise to examine our own prayer life. Do you pray this way in your extemporaneous prayers? Is this how it looks? Is this how it starts? Is this how it's shaped? In the hallowing of God's name, the catechism highlights that God would be glorified. But is that the focus of, of your prayers? Starting our prayers this way gets us rightly oriented and it establishes a good foundation. This model of prayer has a foundation seeking that God would be glorified. To simply pacify it or or ignore this completely has a foundation seeking that man would be satisfied. Do we see the difference? Think about it like this. When you pray... Are you more concerned that God would fulfill your requests or that his will would be accomplished and his name would be glorified? Because this gets right at the heart of the last part of our catechism answer, right? That God would dispose all things to his glory. And our proof text for this comes from, from Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> and you can flip there if you'd like. It's um, verses 33 through 36. From before the foundation of the world, and to quote the great theologian Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond, God's wisdom is always perfect, right? And with this perfect wisdom, he will always achieve his glory, right? And and that includes when he's answering prayers, right? Now, does, does this mean that we can't offer specific requests to the Lord with, with the desire that, that he would answer them in our favor? No, of, of course we can, right? But our greater desire should be that, that God would, would not just answer them with our imperfect wills, but with his perfect will. Why? Well, for one thing, he's, he's never wrong. <laughs> Right, but more importantly, that he would be glorified. Now, this is easy to do when you're praying for light things, right? Like our, our prayer this morning, right? But there's no doubt this becomes increasingly difficult when you're praying for some heavier things, right? Maybe you're praying for a job you haven't had one in six months, or you're praying for the health of a loved one who's very sick, right? There's a lot of intimate and delicate petitions that we lay before the Lord with desired outcomes in mind but does it occur to us in those prayers to say in Romans who, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been your counselor no matter what let your will be done and to you be the glory forever you see no, no matter the outcome of a prayer he will receive he will receive the glory and And that is the most important thing. That he would dispose all things to his own glory. And and it's important that we understand these things now. Because when that difficult hour strikes, and it will, good theology will help conquer emotional turmoil. Good theology will help conquer emotional turmoil. When tragedy strikes in your Christian walk, your emotions will make you want to believe some wrong things. They will but with a strong foundational prayer life that seeks the glory of God we can lament and and, and all in the same breath say Lord I'm hurt beyond words I don't understand I know you are glorified in this somehow and in that I can praise you please comfort me in Christ as I go through this right? because here's the wonderful thing right there is a positive effect to all of this, right? Thinking this way begins to shape how we how we think and how we pray. It tends to shift our natural focus off of ourselves and back towards God, where it rightfully belongs. Right? We are not by nature prone to hallow God's name. That's why we have to learn this stuff. That's why God has to enable us to hallow His name. That's why we have to pray these things re- uh, uh, regularly. And feverishly when we do this regularly we begin to live out more faithfully the, the chief end of man right to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words our, our prayers and our lives as a whole become more God-centered, less man-centered. We mature in our Christianity. It's the mature Christian who goes through life through those difficult hours in tears and yet still knowing that God is glorified and that He loves His people. And asking that God's name be hallowed, it promotes our trust and faith in Him and not ourselves. And see, brothers and sisters, Yahweh rightly deserves all glory and honor, and He will see His purposes accomplished in this life and the next. So let's ensure that, that our prayers reflect what we truly believe. So, I mean, yeah, we have some time for some questions. Does anybody have any questions?
1: Yeah, sure. yeah. So, going back to um, general revelation. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can elaborate a little bit more on that, because the way that I understand it is just the presence of God's creation is a revelation of His name. Is that just kind of thought, of it, kind of goal? So yeah. So, 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 g- so
0: general revelation would just. You the question.
2: I didn't hear it.
1: Okay. So. Uh, going back to general revelation, um, I, I just want him to elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, because the way that I understood it was that God's, or just the existence of creation is a proclamation of his name or revelation of his name. I'm not sure if that's the way that he explained it.
0: Yeah, so general revelation would be revealing that there is a God. right? Revealing that God exists, but it doesn't allow us to know His his specific name. His special revealed name that we find in Scripture, His his triune name, His his covenant name, Yahweh. Does that, does that answer your
1: question? I'm still trying to understand how, just the, I guess I'm still not understanding the general revelation of the name, how did that works.
0: General revelation reveals to us that there is a God. Okay. That, 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 that God exists. We know there's a God, but we don't know his. Specific revealed name. For that, we need special revelation. Okay. Did I, answer, did did I answer your question? I'm just trying to tie in with the name, but I guess, I'm,
1: I guess I can talk to you about it later on. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no, no. Um, is the Is the question, you're trying to tie in general revelation with the name of God? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, in the uh, I think uh, that. The name of God is, is specifically tied to special revelation. Yeah. Right? But Who means special revelation? Right. Specifically tied to special revelation. So we can't tie to attempt to tie to general revelation impossible. Right. So the the creation reveals much right about the glory of God. Right. Shows us His handiwork. Uh, but uh, even as our confession, chapter one on scripture teaches us, right, uh, that uh, there is is more knowledge that is necessary, especially in regards to our salvation and redemption, and understanding the gospel. General revelation doesn't reveal everything that we need to know to us, but one of the things that it doesn't reveal to us is the name of God. And therefore, um, some wonderful and important attributes of God, right, and characteristics see some of the attributes for general revelation. But not all of the <laughs> attributes that he has shown us through. So. So. <laughs> Travis was saying that just looking around the creation like the complexity and the eyeball of the beauty of the sky and whatever it is. Is something there? Those are need Be asking for stuff and fix this, fix that. Mm-hmm. I don't maybe properly know how to address him and come into his presence. I don't know, but I want to, know to speak down.
0: Yes, yeah, so I would say I would say two things to that. Um, first, the so the Lord's prayer is both a model and a form of prayer. What I mean by that is that um, when I say a form of prayer, I mean that you can pray it exactly how it's said, right? We do that in worship. It's, it's, it's absolutely not wrong to just pray the Lord's Prayer outright, um, or you can use it as a model of prayer, um, in that, you know, when, the, when we're going through the catechism like this, right, like kind of how we taught is, um, you, you know, you structure your prayers in the way that you would you would start by glorifying God's name, asking that His name would be hallowed, right? So you, you structure your prayers and model it after the Lord's Prayer, so it's not wrong to do either one. Um, but the, uh, the second thing I would say is that um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid to, um, to, prayer, uh, to, sorry, to pray extemporaneously in, in that, uh, to, just, to just use your own words, to pray Scripture back to God. Um, you know, Romans 8 talks about how uh, the, the Spirit um, intervenes for us with uh, words too deep for, for groaning, right? Even if, even if all you can get out in a prayer is, God, help me, right? That's enough. Um, because the Spirit intervenes and, and Christ is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So um, yeah, I, I would say that that's you know you can, you can pray the Lord's prayer. absolutely nothing wrong with that. or you can use it as a model and and use your own words and, and use the words of Scripture too definitely. Um, so yeah Sure.
2: other dimension we want to consider here is what is a name? Mm-hmm. Legally, in this country, your name represents you. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Well, not really. Do you know how you are identified by the United States government? By your social security number. That is your legal representation. You can change your name but your SSN doesn't change. This is an inversion of the Biblical concept of a name. The Biblical concept of a name is it represents the character of the person. That's why God changed Abram's name to Abraham. And there are other examples of that in the scriptures. So if God's name represents his character, his attributes, how he has revealed himself to us, And that is why we need to pay particular attention to Psalm 138, verse 2, in which the psalmist recognizes that God, the Lord, has raised his name above, his word above his name, but his word and his name are above everything. And in that he represents his ultimate authority. There is no authority beyond the name of God. Additionally, by praying, hallowed be thy name, we recognize our rightful position as being subjected to his authority. Just something to consider there. Thank
1: you. I was also thinking in relation to Jerry's question, um, what Travis said is exactly and completely right. Um, I think it would also be helpful to consider the other prayers that the Lord gives us in the scriptures mm-hmm. and people who are praying. For example, the Psalms are full of David's prayers. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, Paul gives us instruction in Philippians 4 regarding praying. Right? Um, and so we see the model prayer in the Lord's prayer and again, what Travis said is exactly right that it's a model and it's a form but um, that can help us by seeing other, these other people in the scriptures and their prayers along with specific apostolic instruction regarding the components of prayer and how we should pray um, while at the same time understanding that you know, we're never going to be perfect in our prayers or as thorough or we're going to forget some things or some things are going to slip our minds or all of that, but at the same time, we need to remember that we have free and open access through Christ to the throne of grace at any time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So it's not that we just come and then, sorry, we we got to wait our turn again, or we got to wait for an hour or something to come back. No, at, at any time, so we can freely come and offer our prayers and bring our petitions before the throne of grace. But as Travis said, also knowing that the Spirit is also interceding for us, as is Christ. Um, and uh, the Lord knows the desires of our hearts and our needs before we do. Um, and so that's a great comfort. <coughs> I think we'll thank you for a pretty good thing. It might be trivial. Well, we almost started on the first coming here. Thanks, you.
0: Thank you, everyone, for your inputs. Does anybody have any more questions? All right, perfect. That's a good time to stop. All right, let's go ahead and uh, close in prayer. (coughs) Our good and gracious, thrice holy God, we thank you for this time this morning to study your word to study your name we thank you that you are our God Yahweh Father, Son and Holy Spirit the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob whose name does not change that you have existed from eternity past we take comfort that your name has been written on our hearts that we are your people and we do pray, Lord, that your name would be hallowed in our lives and among the nations. We look forward to the day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All for your glory. We pray that you would be with us this morning in our worship of you, that it would be pleasing to you. We pray that you would be with our pastor as he opens your word. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. and We certainly love you. May all the glory and honor be given to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.